Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with John Devine. John is the founder, lead trainer, and CEO of Divine Canines. He cut his dog training teeth, training and deploying with canines in the SEAL teams. After 10 years as a Navy SEAL, he started his business as a renowned trainer in behavioral modification, obedience, scent detection, tactical canine consulting, and service dog training. John is also one of the co-founders of Rescue 22. John, welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. John, we have a mutual friend in Jack Carr. I was uh, fortunate enough to have been on his Danger Close podcast, and I, I listened to your interview as well. Awesome. Well, I hope that uh, I hope I sounded okay. You sounded great. It was a great job on your part. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I assume you were a Navy SEAL before you got into the canine business, or help me understand how you got here. Sure. So I'll try to make long story short. I became a Navy SEAL because that's what I wanted to do since probably eight years old. That's what I always wanted to do. And so I joined the SEAL teams, you know, later on when I was old enough to, you know, after after school and after getting through BUDS and, and all that, I did not know anything about there being a dog team in the SEAL teams. That was not, it was not my life ambition to become a canine handler. But once I was in the SEAL teams, I found out about the dog teams and it was kind of like this hidden thing that wasn't really advertised. It was this little hidden thing that not many SEALs even knew about. But as I started talking to people and learning about it, I was just really intrigued by it. And then uh, during training and deployments, I got to see these dogs in action. And I was like, wow, if I ever have the chance to be able to do this, this is definitely something I want to do. So come next uh, platoon, I volunteered to go to the dog teams and I was actually turned down because they basically were like full and it was kind of a small unit. Uh, but then a directive came out and I'm sure you kind of know how the military works, but they're always like five years behind every war. And, you know, so after that, they, they saw a huge demand for dogs, they waited a few years and then decided to increase the dog teams to be 200% larger was the directive they wanted to do. And that mean a whole meant that a whole bunch of billets opened up and they went around basically asking for volunteers. And my name was already kind of top of the list because I had already, you know, tried to go there already. And so they came to me and they were like, Do you would you like to come to the dog teams? And I said, How long do I have to decide? And they said about ten minutes because <laughs> <laughs> because then we're gonna have to go down to the next names of the list. So I kind of took a leap of faith at that moment and was like, okay, we'll do it. And sure enough, the very next day I was at the dog teams uh, getting bit by every single dog. It's, it's kind of like an initiation slash ritual we kind of had. Um, and, and I think it was partially hazing, partially seeing if you really wanted to do this uh, because 
after you've been bit by, you know, 12 different dogs or so that each one of them uh, are some of the hardest dogs that you'd like each one of these dogs, if they were at a police department, they would be the hardest dog that that police department has hundred percent. And each one of these dogs could, could bite really hard. Uh, and there's a few in particular that I remember like feeling my bones bent as they, as they bit me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Through the bite suit. And, uh, and there's definitely two feelings that you can have after that. You're either, either thinking that this is definitely not for me. This is, this is kind of scary or it's like, this is really cool. And I think I, I think I had a combination of both of those, but the, the, <laughs> the, the it being cool, you know, over overshadowed the first. So uh, you know, I just I just stuck around and uh, you know started learning from the guys that have been there longer than me. Eventually, got paired up with my dog and went to the handler course, and then got back from the handler course and prepped uh, for training. Trained with my dog for about a year before we deployed, and uh, and finished out the rest of my career at the dog teams before I ended up getting out and then. Uh, Started to then ended up starting to buy canines, uh, leading into Rescue Twenty Two, and then leading on to being on your podcast. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's a great story, John. What was the name of your first uh, canine? Uh, my first canine's name was Edo. E D O. E D O. Now, for those that might not be familiar listening to this podcast, how does the SEAL team utilize uh, canines uh, in the field? So the canines that we have in the field are called multi-purpose canines, MPC for short. And a true MPC is a very rare thing in the working dog world because what that means is, is the dog has three disciplines in which they're trained in. The first one being detection, the second one being apprehension, and the third one being tracking. So the dog can be utilized on, th on three different disciplines. And I rank them that way because i do feel that the id threat is, was the highest for us so i always wanted to make sure that 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 was the, the primary one that i was always 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 training because at the end of the day yes our dogs can bite bad guys but i'm also carrying you know either a 556 or a 762 on me and you know that could be more than a dog bite the one thing that i cannot do that the dog can is find an ied Yes, I can use my eyeballs and look for disturbed earth, look for signs, look for suspicious things, but the dog can detect that much greater at a much uh, less of a risk to us and even the dog. That's for sure. I was uh, a protection agent uh, with the government, and I know the comfort factor in knowing that uh, a room has been swept by a dog for explosives and then as well as vehicles and so forth. So uh, there's nothing better than than knowing that you have the dogs there watching your six uh, and making sure that there's no IEDs left behind. And I always felt like I was the safest one, even though I was always walking at the front of the patrol and things like that. I always felt like I was the safest because I was walking in my dog's footsteps. You know, and so any, anything that he's scanned, is, it's definitely clear. And so I, I always felt like as long as my dog was in front of me that I was never going to be stepping in an IED. And that was really, that was everyone's greatest fear. Now, your business now, uh, I've looked at your awesome website and I see you have 27,000 Instagram followers. So job well done on that. Um, people like dogs. <laughs> people do love dogs uh, for sure. And I'm, I'm one of them. And 
We also have a tremendous amount of executive protection and corporate security personnel that listen to this podcast. And what are some of the things that uh, security practitioners could utilize dogs for? So dogs have been probably one of the greatest security assets for the last, I don't know, 35,000 years. Um, it, they've, they've really been working alongside humans for, for so, so, so long. Now, does that mean that every single person out there needs to go out there, there and buy themselves a $100,000 personal protection dog? No. I don't think every single person needs that, but some people might have greater you know, security risk than others. And I can tell you that having a dog that is well-trained is an asset in itself. You don't need to have a dog that is trained to go apprehend a bad guy for it to be an asset. To me, having a dog that barks when there's something going wrong, something that is amiss outside, is a security system that can't be disabled when the power goes out. You know, it's, it's, it's one more layer of protection. Maybe it's a bark in the night that, that gets you to go to your primary uh, security measures, which could be, you know, could be a firearm in the house, could be turning on your, you know, your exterior lights, you know, uh, if you, if it alerts you and then all of a sudden you, you hear something yourself and you see something, maybe it alerts you to call the police, you know, but it is a security layer that is a great layer to have. Now, I do have clients that come to me because they want to have not just a, a layer of protection, but they want to have an asset. And the dogs that we train for personal protection work, not only are they a good dog that's well-trained, but they also have the ability to actually be able to bite, apprehend a bad guy in the event that that should ever happen. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontex Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial this is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. So let's say you're an ultra high net worth individual or a billionaire, and you really don't want an executive protection team for whatever reason, and you want a dog to help protect you or your family or your, your children. So that's the kind of service that your company also provides? Correct, yes. And the one thing I'll say with that is that in the industry of personal protection dogs, it's a very uh, wide spectrum of what different people will consider a personal protection dog. I Meaning there's no like gold standard of, of personal protection dogs. So depending on what place you go to, the dog's training and what they offer could range anywhere between Having a dog that is more like a junkyard guard dog where it's like, yes, it'll bite a bad guy, but it'll bite anybody who comes on the property, you know, to dogs that are super highly trained, uh, very well socialized and able to be a huge asset and everything in between. And the training for these dogs, uh, John, I, I think that 
most of us, uh, as we were talking uh, off the air, have their own dog stories or issues with behavior at times. When you train one of your dogs to perform that kind of security function, how much time and effort is actually put into that on your part? And then how much, for lack of better words, continuous education is does the client have to do with that dog? That's a great question because first off, the dogs that we import, we import most of our dogs from overseas from a variety of, of vendors that I have good relationships with. I actually, I go to the Netherlands and Germany uh, to look at dogs and test them before I actually bring them back. And when I get them, I spend about six months to a year training them myself. Wow. And so I, so I really know these dogs very well before I actually place them with the client, meaning that I, I know all their quirks. I know all the things we had to overcome with training and things like that. And then once we actually go to place this dog with the client, we spend an entire week with the, with the client and their family could even be, uh, you know, any, anybody who's around the family that wants to be trained on the dog, to know the capabilities and just how to use the dog. We train them how to use the dog. I also include for the first year of the dog, in the price of the dog, I include the first year of sustainment training comes with it so that they're very much incentivized to want to continue to have me come out there just to do some follow-up training on a monthly and bi-monthly basis. And I assume you're, for the most part, uh, working with Belgians and Shepherds? Yes. So most of the dogs that we place are Belgian Malinois. Dutch Shepherds and German Shepherds, or a combination of the three. And John, this is something that I've always pondered or been puzzled with. Why are those three dogs like the go-to kind of uh, canine for this kind of industry? So to be quite simple, it's because they have the best results. It doesn't mean that if you go to any breeder and get yourself a German Shepherd or a Belgian Malinois or a Dutch Shepherd that they're going to be a great personal protection dog. Far from it. But it's almost like certain colleges produce more NFL players than others because they just have good programs. It's just the Shepherd, the Belgian Malinois, and the Dutch Shepherd have the good genetic makeup for this. And when you look back on the dog's genetics, these are Shepherd breeds, meaning that thousands of years ago, what was the Shepherd breeds doing? Well, they were protecting flocks of sheep and their families. So they were traveling around with families, protecting them from outside threats. So it's it's very closely in line with what they're currently doing now. That's very interesting. I know that uh, the Labradors are also used in the EOD space. Uh, is that an accurate assessment? Absolutely. So if you think about Labradors, where do, where do they come from? Well, they come from hunting dogs. And what do hunting dogs do? They have to use their nose, their nose to find things. So Labradors are very good at detection work, but they're also really good. Another thing in that Labradors, Retrievers, they were bred not to be uh, aggressive in the sense they're not really meant to have a hard mouth to apprehend bad guys. They're actually meant to have a soft mouth. So they tend to be just more gentler, which also makes them a little easier to handle and also uh, less liability. So you can have a Labrador working through crowds of people. And even if somebody freaks out and screams and runs away or tries to kick the dog, you know, God forbid anything bad like that, like the dog is still not going to create a lawsuit <laughs> for them, you know, where if you have an apprehension German Shepherd and somebody freaks out, accidents can happen. Well, that makes perfect sense. John, now, 
Tell me about Rescue 22. It looks like a wonderful organization. It, uh, so that's been one of my passion projects that myself and all the other co-founders uh, created a few years ago. And as a team, really, I'm so honored to be part of it because this is definitely something that I could have never have done on my own. And in having that team next to me, we were really able to do something really great and and placing dogs with veterans all over the country at no cost to the veterans. That's amazing. Are these service dogs? Yes. So we provide fully task trained service dogs, meaning that there's a lot of good dogs out there that are being placed with veterans as ESAs and emotional support dogs and things like that. And those definitely have a place because they are important and they make such a difference in, in many veterans' lives. But the difference is, is a lot of the dogs that we're training are for complex disabilities. Give me a for example. Uh, for example, our, my next dog that I'm actually placing is, is for a paraplegic, uh, a young lady uh, who was injured during the latest bombing uh, during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Oh my goodness. I think I saw that on social media and, uh, rescue 22, your dog is going to be helping her. Yes. Well, I mean, one, I feel like she's helping us just in the sense of, uh, being able to help a veteran of her caliber is one of the greatest honors that I, I have that I continue to still be able to serve at this capacity that I have. And, you know, she, is still when I was over there uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, she was doing like between five and six physical therapy sessions a day, working so hard to try to to try to get better. And she is getting like in every session, I saw her make little little progress here and there. And uh, she is still fighting like the Marine that she is every day. That's simply amazing. And and what kind of dog is chosen for that kind of assignment? So we have a, he's basically a gold retriever mix because something that is different about Rescue 22 that is unlike most other service dog organizations out there is that Rescue 22, we procure all our dogs from rescues or repurposed dogs, meaning that every single one of our dogs are rescued themselves, which is why we call it Rescue 22. We call it Rescue 22 because we're saving two at a time. And so the dog that we're going to be placing with Kelsey is a dog that I pulled out of a shelter myself, out of a shelter in Visalia, California. And he was, you know, sitting in a, in a dog kennel with a, with a giant bowl of, of Alpo, it looked like. And, uh, and I pulled him out, tested him. He, he was a great dog that tested really well. And we trained him uh, for over a year. And right now we're actually doing the finishing training on him uh, to be specifically for Kelsey. That's amazing, John. I, I can't imagine, uh, the amount of work and effort and just the, uh, awesome support for, uh, that Marine and, and your efforts are just, uh, simply over the top. For those that are listening to this podcast, they want to help you and your efforts with Rescue 22. What can they do to support you? So, easiest would be to go to the website www.rescue22foundation.org and you can find all our information there a lot of the things that we're looking for is companies that want to get involved with us for any kind of giving back programs uh any any kind of commitments we're definitely looking for like-minded companies that are you know in the veteran space or, or want to be involved with helping veterans you know if you know a veteran that you think would be a good candidate 
to get a service dog from us, uh, you definitely can reach out, go to the website. The only caveat I'll say is that we do have a long waiting list because, you know, the battle that we're fighting is that we really want to increase our capacity to be able to pump out more service dogs. But and the, the ability to be able to do that comes with funding, being able to hire more trainers, being able to, you know, train more trainers to be able to do more dogs, things like that. So that's definitely something that we are doing. And slowly we are building a team and uh, increasing our capacity. But right now our waiting list is about a year long. John, I know uh, over the course of my lifetime, I've rescued several Labrador retrievers and they've all been a little bit different. And as you look back over your long career, not only with uh, the SEAL team and what you're doing now with Divine Canines and then with Rescue 22, do you have a favorite dog? Do I have a favorite dog? So a favorite dog in Rescue 22? In general, as you look back over your life and career in this space, do you have a favorite canine? So this is something that's funny. I've thought about this and my answer might sound a little bit like a cop out, but what I say is that I feel like if you're a dog person, there's a different dog in your life that represents a period of your life. So I remember having my first golden retriever when I was, you know, could barely walk. And that dog was with me till I was about 12 years old until she passed away. You know, and then we had another family dog when I was about, you know, 14 or 15, we got a new dog, you know, and then, uh, you know, I ended up leaving the military and, you know, having to leave that dog behind. But then I ended up in the dog teams. Then I had another dog for like that period of my life. And then there was the transition of getting out of the military. And then I ended up, you know, rescuing a dog because I just needed to have a project to work on. And that ended up representing a period of my life, you know. And so I will say that I don't really think that there is any one dog that represents, you know, my favorite dog of all time. It's just that every period of my life, there was a perfect dog for the perfect period of my life. John, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Oh, uh, geez. This is like one of those um, professor assignments when they're like, you can write a paper on anything. And then like, it's the hardest <laughs> assignment in the world if they would only just assign you something. <laughs> uh, so I would say in regards to dogs, since that's been a pretty much a focus of what we've been talking about today, is that uh, training your dog really does not need to be an all-day evolution to make your dog better. But there are little things that you can do little by little to make your dog better. And if you have a hard or difficult, difficult dog, don't worry. Because the good news about that is having a difficult or a hard dog, you will learn more from those dogs than you will easy dogs. Well said, my friend. We thank you so much, John, for being on the OnTick Protective Intelligence Podcast. Awesome. Fred, thank you so much for having me on. It's our pleasure. And if you guys ever want to ask any questions later on, anybody can feel free to DM me or reach out on our social media, on our Instagram or Facebook uh, at Divine Canines. Thank you very much, John. All right. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow. 
and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.